Andy said he was going to have this all set up for me, so I wouldn't have to move it. But I figured that when the worship team came up that they would have to move some stuff around, so I won't move this stuff. <laughs> so, okay, wow. It's, um, it really is an honor to be up here. It's a very nerving honor, but um, I, am, I was honored when, um, when Andy asked me to share. Um, of course, my comfort zone is in my own house, in my little small group, and with, with friends, and, but you guys are all friends, and you're all family, so um, I'm just going to relax in that and pretend like I'm in my living room, somebody said. So um, welcome to my house. <laughs> it's also God's house. Um, we're getting a little bit closer to the end of our Lent season. Um, I think it, I think Good Friday is the official end of Lent, if I'm, or that Thursday. But anyway, we have Palm Sunday next week, and then the next Sunday is um, Easter, of course. And throughout Lent, we've been talking about the wilderness and how to embrace the wilderness, um, how God has prepared us for this time in the wilderness. We've talked about the being empowered by the Holy Spirit through the wilderness, and um, then last week, Andy talked about um, the temptations that Jesus faced while in the wilderness. So today I'm just going to share some of the challenges of when we come out of the wilderness and we're still kind of in a raw place after going through that. So um, if you would just pray with me now. So Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for, for this day, for this season of Lent, and Lord, for all that you've been speaking, Lord, to my heart and and, Lord, just the reflections during this time of just all that you've done. And, and Lord, just even recognizing the wilderness experiences that we've all had and, and how to um, make those our growth experiences, because that's what your intention is. Your intention is for us to grow through these experiences and to learn more about you, not to have us defeated, and it's what the enemy would want. So, Father, I just pray that you would just... Um, anoint my mouth to speak the things that you would want shared. And, Father, I just ask that you would open up the hearts of all of us to hear your message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've, we're going to continue on the Luke 4 passage that um, we started with, with this wilderness experience. And I'm just going to highlight the, the first and one of the other verses. So in Luke 4, 1, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then jumping to verse 14, it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went throughout all of the surrounding region. Okay, I want to focus on the fact that Jesus, when he entered the wilderness, he didn't enter the wilderness completely alone. He was stripped of his deity, so he was fully man, but he didn't go in on his own strength. He went in filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was with him through all of this time that he was being tempted. And I think sometimes we can, when we hear verses over and over from the whole time we're growing up, you know, he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And yeah, I just, I thought about that and I thought, that is a long time to be just attacked by the enemy day in and day out for 40 days and 40 nights. Sometimes I think I just stopped at the, the three temptations that we read about that, that Satan tempted him with. But, I mean, this went on for the whole entire 40 days and 40 nights. So we know that he was exacerbated and he was just, just drained, but he still was empowered by the Holy Spirit because when he came out, it didn't say he was defeated. It said he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I want to concentrate on that for a few minutes of what we have how to focus on that infilling of the Holy Spirit 
to get us through when we're in tough times. And there's a passage in the Old Testament, um, 1 Samuel 30, um, and I'll give you a little bit of background of that. This is David had been fighting with, <coughs> excuse me, David had been fighting with Achish and his army against the um, Israelites. <coughs> he was on his path to fighting, um, you know, running from Saul and, and hiding, and so he joined with the Philistines. And so he things had been going pretty well, but then when they were getting ready to fight the Israelites and fight Saul's army, um, some of Achish's men were like, we don't want this. Why is this Hebrew, why is this Israelite fighting with us? He's going to turn on us. He's going to betray us. And so they didn't want David with them. And so Achish sent David back to Ziklag and said, listen, you know, you go hang out there with your men and, and you know, until we'll catch up later or whatever. But um, he didn't want, he sent David back to Ziklag. And so David and his men, and he had like 600 men that had been following him and standing by his side during all of this journey. They make it back to Ziklag. They get to Ziklag, and the whole town had been burned. And all of the women and all of the children were gone. And so there was quite an uproar. The um, Amalekites had come in and had destroyed Ziklag. And so his men were very angry. They were distraught. They were just grieving. And, and David also, because his wives and children were gone, and Ziklag burned to the ground. And so it says in verse 6, now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And so it doesn't, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly what David did to strengthen himself, but he strengthened himself in the Lord. He was greatly distressed in that first part of the verse. And to be greatly distressed, he was in mental anguish. And I don't know how many of you have been to that point of just absolute mental anguish where you don't know what, what to do next, um, whether it's grief or, or just that, that absolute depression really is what David was experiencing. And he could have bailed out at that time. He could have, you know, just fall to the, the hands of his men. But he didn't. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. And I'd like to believe that the way he did that was he just focused on some of those things that God had done for him in the past, the ways that the victories that God had given him. He had killed a lion. He had killed Goliath. He had done all these things where God had been with him. And I think that maybe that was what he did to strengthen himself. Whatever it was, he built himself up through the Holy Spirit, through God, and, and was able to then turn and go to God because it was after that that he inquired of the Lord. He didn't go and inquire of the Lord like, oh my gosh, God, what am I going to do? My men want to stone me. What do I do? What do I do? No, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Then he went and he inquired of God what to do. And of course, God sent him to, to go in and, and the rest of that. But um, there's different, I want to just look at some of the ways that we can strengthen ourselves. When we were at um, small group, I was at small group the other night and one of the ladies was sharing how throughout her, throughout elementary school, throughout middle school, throughout high school, how the enemy just constantly brought these attacks on her abilities, what she was capable of doing. And, you know, he would speak through the mouths of teachers of things that she couldn't do and, you know, and she was never going to do this. And then it carried into middle school and carried into high school. And it was always like one teacher that would be there to try to bring her down. But in all of those cases, God showed her otherwise that, no, you will do this because I have equipped you to do this and you will overcome this. And she was sharing that, how 
these victories that God had given her through this time. And so that was a strengthening. She was strengthening herself in the Lord. And I think that's what, that's what we have to remember. When there's things like that that we go on, we need to think back on the things that God has already done for us, the things that he has put in us, the things that he, the victories that he's already given us. Because the wilderness is sometimes just a, a very dark and desolate place. And sometimes we don't know how to, to turn out turn out away from that and wh- how we pick up the pieces and um, you know I know each of us if we went around the room could share of a wilderness experience that you had and and I know just a few years ago when I was walking through that and I was strong in the Lord I was you know solid in my belief system so it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with with your relationship with God as far as you know whether you love him or not um, But I had made some decisions. I went back into teaching thinking that that's, well, I didn't even think that that's what God was telling me to do. I never even asked God about it. I just did it because that's what I wanted to do. I'd been homeschooling. And during that time, it was, I mean, I thought I was dying. Not because of the teaching part, because I knew how to teach. I had been a teacher before. But it was just, it was a lonely, dark time during that period. And I realized through all of that, that I wasn't, that's not what he was calling me to do, but he allowed me to go through that time to show me things in myself that he wanted to, to either change or to heal or to mend, and I, I remember even during some of those times begging God, you know, would you just let my friend call me today to see how I'm doing, and, you know, and I would go the whole day and nothing, and it wasn't that, you know, I mean, I talked to my friends and stuff during that time, but it was, he was making so that I would only rely on him during that time. And it wasn't that he made people disappear. I mean, I was still coming to church and still doing things. But during those, sometimes it's just one occurrence and you feel like the whole world's against you or you feel like that it's, you know, the end is near. But he wanted me to focus on him. And so I continued to just literally battle every day, reminding God of the things that he had given me and the things that he had wanted me to do and, and so forth. And was able to to come out of that stronger. And I really believe that that was kind of the the catalyst for me for where he just began to open up and just to really pour into me the, the things that he wanted to share of himself and of his heart. And so we need to really remember that there's times where when we're walking through the wilderness, we're going to feel stuck. We're going to feel like, okay, what do we do? How do we get past this? So if you just look up here, there's a little video clip that I want you all to see. (laughs) Do you have any of the other slides or anything? No? Okay, well, in the little video clip, (laughs) I can preface it, or I could just tell you what it is. It's um, it's actually just kind of silly, but it's... uh, two people riding an escalator on their way in a building going to work or whatever in their, the busyness of their day. So they're riding up this escalator, and then all of a sudden the escalator stops, and they panic. And the man's like, well, what do we do? And she's like, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, well, we, we need to call somebody to come fix this. How, how do we get out of here? We've, we've got to go to work. Somebody help. And so they're yelling, help, help. We're stuck on an escalator. Somebody help. So they're waiting and waiting. And they're, I mean, they're both like in panic mode. And then all of a sudden, this, a man coming with a little, you know, handy bag or, you know, handy tool kit. And they're like, yes, 
he said he could fix it. I'm so excited. We're going we're gonna to get out of this. He can, it, we're going to get out. And so the van's climbing on the escalator below them, coming up to where they are, and then all of a sudden his escalator stops. And then that's where the, the little clip fades out. But, and it's, it's kind of silly when we look at it because, you know, we're like, okay, duh, you just walk up. But how many times have we ever been in that situation where we feel stuck? We don't know how to get out of what we're doing. And it's really the, the answer is right in front of us, but we're so consumed in whatever it is that we're going through. We're just so, you know, just wallowed down in our agony and our defeat that we're stuck. And we don't know how to get off of that escalator. You know, we don't, we don't know which way to turn. So how do we get unstuck when we're on an escalator going up? We want to learn from this experience. We want to grow spiritually. We know that, that even if we realize that, okay, God's bringing us through this for a reason, and we want to learn from that because we don't want to have to repeat any of God's tests. That's the good thing about God and the, <laughs> the bad thing with us is that when he's bringing us through a test or a trial and we don't pass it, the good news is we get to take it again. And again and again, when there's something that he's trying to refine in us and something that he's wanting us to learn, he's so patient with us. We get to keep retaking that test. So when we're going through this experience, we want to learn. We want to we wanna grow stronger spiritually. We want to come out on the other side. We want to make it up that escalator. So we just have to figure out what do we do. And, and from pregnancy to anointing to creation, all, from all of those steps, Everything each day starts out in darkness. Every new day starts out in darkness. And our tendency is to want to equate darkness always with something bad or something evil. Um, but sometimes that's where God is. Sometimes we find God near that thick darkness. And if you, hopefully this next slide, will, if you pull up the next one, in Exodus 20, 21, Moses is at the mountain in the big cloud of smoke where he goes to visit with God, and God's given him the Ten Commandments, and the people did not want to go near where that was. They were terrified of the presence of God. And so they waited down below while Moses went up and, and got the news or got whatever instructions for them that God had. And so the in verse 21 it tells us, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And that's, so God was in that thick cloud of darkness. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that when we're in a wilderness because it is dark. It's, we don't know what to do, and we lose sight of God. And that's when we start just self-loathing and, you know, trying to pick up our pieces. But God is in that thick darkness. He's there to help bring us out. But we're also sometimes just used to somebody doing it for us. We're used to just sitting back and somebody saying, here, let me do this, or here, go this way, here, go that way. And there are times and seasons of that when we have people that are walking and guiding and instructing us, but there's times where we need to focus ahead and to get un unstuck because God intended for us to be able to move but we have to move. We have to, to just take a step up. So we have to give that effort. We can't just sit back. We can't like, you know, we can go to church. We can hear a good message. We can, you know, get our emotions all, you know, built up. And we can feel good about ourselves. But then, you know, we, 
go right back in to the same pattern. And we do this over and over again because we're so used to somebody doing it for us. And so Jesus gave us the gift of salvation. When we call on his name and we surrender to him and we invite him to be part of our lives, he, we are saved. He gives us that gift of salvation. But he doesn't promise us that we're going to walk in true, pure spirituality. That takes an effort on our part to walk in true spirituality and, and to, to learn those things about God, to you know, learn the mysteries. It's the mysteries of God are there for us to, to learn, and there's so many different things about God. We, we'll never understand and learn everything on this side of eternity, but we have to make an effort if we want to live a truly spiritual life. And Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay, so we can be reconciled to God. We can receive that salvation, the atonement, and all of those things, but we can also be reconciled to God without being spiritual. And so we have to seek after righteousness. This is why that churches across the nation are filled with people that are reconciled with God, that have received the gift of salvation, but they're really kind of stuck in a spiritual place in their life of really not moving forward. And so we have to seek that. We have to seek righteousness. In Matthew 6.33 it says, and this one's not up there, but, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So there is a degree of righteousness that we receive when we accept God because we're receiving Jesus into us and Jesus is righteous. But he very clearly instructs us to seek his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so there's more righteousness to be had. There's more righteousness for us to, to attain. That's why he tells us to seek his righteousness. So we have to... In order to do that, we have to turn our focus. And, and righteousness, it's to put it in just a simple term, really right, righteousness is just to follow the directions of God rather than of our own passions. It's to, I heard someone actually break it down to say it's to do what is right. So it's to do what is right in the spiritual sense, to focus on those things that God wants and to, to follow those things instead of our own passions. And in Psalm 89, it tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. So that's where everything rests. The foundation of his throne begins and starts with righteousness and justice. So we have to continue to seek righteousness. But how do we continue to seek righteousness when we're constantly getting tempted, when there's just those temptations that continue to come that continue to bombard us, those things that, you know, Paul talked about, why do I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do, and, and all of those things. Why do we keep getting bombarded? Why do we, how do we seek righteousness when there's temptation that's constantly breathing down our neck? Well, each one of us, I think Andy talked about it last week, each one of us is, is involved in a battle against an enemy, and for the most part, we don't see that enemy. It's it's in the unseen realm. It's that we're invited, we're in, involved in this battle that with somebody that we don't see face-to-face. And there's a French philosopher, Pierre Deschardins, I think that's how you say it, and I don't know if you have that quote. Do you have that slide? Okay, well, he said, this is a quote, we are not human beings 
having a spiritual experience, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And so if we think about the fact that, you know, we were created by God and we were, our relationship with him is spirit to spirit. I mean, there may be some that have audible conversations with God. I, I know that that happens. But for the most part, our relationship with him is through our spirit. So if, if that's how we commune with God, then we, we need to make sure that we know how to do that. Because in Ephesians 6, it tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual host of wickedness and so on. So we are, we're not fighting a battle with a person. And even when we have broken relationships and, and brokenness in our relationships with people, our battle is beyond that because that's what the enemy, he uses people, he uses us, he uses me. I many times have been the person that has caused the wound or has, has penetrated somebody's heart and so in a negative way. So the enemy will use us, but we need to learn how to fight those battles. We need to know how to war because sin begins on the inside. Sin begins right here in our thoughts. And there's been many books written about the battlefield of our mind and, and, and all of those things are so true. Every, every battle that we face, every battle that we fight, it's going to begin right here in our thought process. And so we need to know how to war. So there's this thing called, well, I'm sure most of y'all have heard of phantom limb, like when somebody has lost a limb um, due to amputation or maybe, you know, born without a limb, but um, especially in the sense of, of having a limb amputated, whether it's a, a leg or an arm or appendage, whatever, when they, it, there's been, there's many times when that, with that missing limb that they can feel pain that there's a real pain that they experience, that phantom pain, but there's no limb there. There's no nerve endings that are sending messages to the brain saying, you know, cause pain right here or this hurts. So it's, that's, you know, that's why they call it a phantom pain. And so psychologists or neuro neurologists have, you know, in different therapies that they've done, they've um, tried to come up with different things to, <coughs> to have these, people experiencing this phantom limb to alleviate pain. So when we meet Jesus, our sinful nature is cut off, and we become new creations. In Galatians 2.20, it tells us if my, or, sorry, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So if my sinful nature is dead, then why do I keep having an itch in a limb that's not there? Why do I keep having this sin that keeps creeping at my door and with this temptation and I keep giving into it? If if I've been if I'm a new creation new creature and my sinful nature has been cut off, you know, why why do I keep struggling with temptation? And why do I keep responding to sin as if it were still alive in me? So with the phantom limb amputees, they came up with this therapy. It's called mirror therapy. And um, what they did, the American Neurological Association, they discovered that when they used a mirror, it would help with the phantom pain. And what they would do is they would 
um, the amputee would, you know, sit down and they would take a mirror and put the mirror in place of, say, if it was their arm, if this is if this is the missing limb, they would put the mirror here and they would have them move this limb and they would watch in the mirror the their existing limb as they moved it. And they found by doing that, it sent it sent messages to the brain that it for however you know however it works because I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but it it ended up alleviating. In a lot of cases, all of the pain that they were feeling in that phantom limb. But they would do this however long it took. It, it may take months. It may take weeks, months, years. However, but they would they would found they found that if the idea was that if they were able to visualize the missing limb, then the pain decreased. So we have a mirror therapy that we can use because Paul and James talk about the Bible being a mirror. It's a mirror through which we see Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then in 1 Corinthians 13.12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. So when we begin to feel that phantom sin in our lives, that temptation that creeps up on us when we feel like we're you know, doing pretty well and then those temptations come, we can scratch it, we can medicate it, we can fight that pain and that sin in our own strength, but we will continue to fail when we try to do that in our own strength. So we need his strength. We need the mirror therapy of the word of God in order to see the image of Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. So God put his very life in us so that we can live as free men and women. We have to use the mirror, though. We have to not just have it in our possession because knowledge alone is not what changes us. There's a lot of us, and myself included, we've, we have a lot of knowledge about the things of God. And there's people that are on the enemy side that have a not lot of knowledge about the things of God. So knowledge doesn't change us within. It's the power of holiness that's in the transformation, and that occurs when we saturate ourselves in God's word because that is life and spirit. It's a living word. Just like in Hebrews 4.12, it tells us, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So that's, that's the word of God. That's what the word of God does for us. So the word of God is our mirror. That's the therapy. So we can train our minds. We can actually train our minds to be the dominant nature. You know, because all throughout the day, it, our soul is what's guiding us and what's making decisions, and our soul is not evil, but our soul, which our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and that's usually what we are making decisions on all day long, either from our emotions, from our intellect, and so we, are, we end up fighting battles based on our tendencies of our soul, based on our knowledge of the situation or our emotions and how we're feeling about a situation, but we need to train our minds for our spirit to be the first thing that we do battle with because it's the spirit of God in us. It's that Ephesians passage, the, the 
you know, the um, unseen realm that we're fighting against, the principalities. So we can train our brains, we can train our minds to have the spirit be our main focus. And the way that we do that, I'm, are we like no, no images, no, no? Okay, um, well, you won't get to see the cute little picture that goes with it. But anyway, our brain, it was a picture of a brain, um, a little animated picture of a brain, but your brain, our brain, processes 60 billion bytes of information per second. That's, you know, depth, colors, movements, personalities, whatever, anything at all that you can think of. All of these things are being recognized at the same moment in our brain. And all of that info is received by our senses in the brain, in, in the part of the brain that's called the reticular activating system. I know that's a fancy, y'all didn't know y'all were coming here for a science lesson today, but I promise I'll make it, you know, third grade level so that I can understand how to explain it. But um, the reticular activating system, which we'll just call RAS from then on, and that's a real thing. This is science. This is how God's created us. But all of the information is filtered through that part of the brain. And basically, the simple definition is RAS is a bundle of nerves that's at the, our brain stem that filters out any unnecessary information so that all of the important stuff gets in. And that's why when you buy a car and you, maybe you've never noticed that car before, and then all of a sudden, everywhere you go, you see that car on the road. It's like, wow, I never <laughs> have seen so many of this car. Or when you learn a new word, and then all of a sudden you hear that word everywhere you turn. You turn on the TV, and they've used that word. And um, and it was I was up visiting my daughter Autumn this past weekend, and we went to go get a new car. And she was very, not a brand new car, but she went to go get a car so that we could have our car back. Um, and she was very specific with what color she wanted. She wanted either um, black, charcoal, gray, or um, like a navy blue. And I, you know, I remember saying to her, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't really seen too many navy blue cars. And I was pointing to other blue cars that were there on the lot. She goes, no, not that color blue, not that color blue. And she goes, I've seen them. She goes, and I really, you know, I would really like that color. So I thought, okay, well, as soon as we, we were there all day, but when we pulled out of the lot, everywhere we turned, there was this same exact color of blue that this car that she got. And so I would, we were, we were kind of chuckling and cause she didn't know anything about you know, this, and I had, I had had my message done, but I just kind of thought it was funny that, you know, I, I think even at one point we were at an intersection and like three cars, they were all, because she got an SUV, three SUVs, they were different, you know, models, but three SUVs and they were all the exact same color blue, that navy color blue. And so I thought, okay, well, so they've been there all along. My brain just wasn't focused on recognizing them because I didn't have any purpose to recognize those. So um, that's kind of what the RAS does. It's, it, is that memory part of us. We, you know, sometimes we have, we smell something and it'll trigger a memory. And sometimes those memories are so strong and it'll like instantly a song or something, it'll take us right back to that, that actual memory as if we were going through it all over again. So it's like the, the guardian of our mind, which is also like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guardian of our mind. And in this part of your brain, in the RAS, that's the part of your brain that the Holy Spirit uses to convict, to teach, to lead, and to prepare those for his service. So the Holy Spirit might tell you, mm, no, I don't think you should do that, or no, do this instead. And you're, well, I've never done it this way, but do this instead. Those, those feelings that we get, and, and we all have had that, where all of a sudden somebody will, you know, we'll think of somebody out of the blue, 
and you know sometimes we kind of you know uh, will act on that prompting and sometimes we don't but that's the holy spirit bringing those things filtering through all of that information that he'll you know randomly send somebody in your thought processes and so that's when we learn to obey that and call them or whatever i i have found that a lot of times when i'm thinking of somebody like that and it, somebody out of the blue, maybe that I haven't talked to in a while, or, you know, even if it is somebody more recent, but in almost every single case, and I'm not lying, almost every single time, if I don't make the phone call or text or whatever, like, literally the next day, they'll call me. And I'm always, I always am like, man, I should have listened. I, sh- I knew I was supposed to, but it's like, it's just interesting how, you know, that's how, that's how God works. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So we can train our brains to let the Holy Spirit be that part of us that focuses out all of the, you know, filters out all the other information so that the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to notice, because the Holy Spirit will use this, that RAF, in our life to bring to our memory the memories that he wants us to notice. And the scriptures are very crucial. The word of God is very crucial in activating that reticular activating system. The more time that you spend in the word, it sensitizes you to the things of the Lord. And on the flip side of that, the less time that you spend in the word, the less time and the less sensitivity you're going to have to the things of God. So reading the word will encourage us to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. With God's word in our heart, then we're able to renew our mind. And so when those thoughts come, we're able to take every thought captive unto the obedience of God. We're able to renew our mind. So developing the RAF enables us to hear from God more frequently and more accurately. The more attention, the more that you pay attention to him, the more that you will notice him. And like I said, likewise, the less attention that you pay to him, the less you're going to notice him. So what you focus on, you make room for. And I heard... Um, a speaker that he's now passed away, um, John Paul Jackson. I remember him saying one time that he was going through a period where he realized that uh, and he was a minister and he had, you know, had a relationship with God. He wasn't going through any, you know, like backsliding experience or anything. But he realized sometimes at the end of the day that he had never thought about God that day. It's like it never, you know, not that he thought ill or anything. It's just like he had gone through the whole day and, and God was not really anywhere in his thoughts. And so that bothered him. You know, because he wanted to think about God everywhere, you know, everywhere that he, you know, every, everybody that he talked to, he wanted to be able to see God. Every, You know, he wanted to activate that in his brain so that he would automatically think of God. And so he got little sticky notes, little those little garage sale tabs, and everywhere, he put them everywhere. He would put on his watch face, thank God. Put them on his computer, thank God. And he just put them all around in his office, everywhere, and his mirrors at home. So that every time he was looking at something, he would see, thank God, thank God. And it would make him think that. And it began to activate in him where he began to see God in everything around him. And he began to think of God throughout the day, not just when he was doing ministry or not just when somebody called and needed a prayer or, or anything like that. But he, he just began to think on the things of God all day long. But he had to train his mind and activate that in him. In Hebrews 5.14, it says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
So the reticular activating system is the result of us exercising our senses. And I just always think it's so cool when God shows us things that also agree with, you know, science. Not that anything that God says has to agree (coughs) with what science says, but it's just, it's neat to me when we can see things that science, you know, has come up with and and scientists have learned about our brains and so forth. And then when we understand those, you know, part of those mysteries of God and we're like, yeah, God designed it just like that. You know, he's the one that set that in motion. He's the one that designed every facet of our brain. And so I just, I think that's really cool. Um, John 16, 13 to 14. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And then John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. So knowing the word of God, knowing the written word of God helps us to be able to trust what God's plan is for us. That is the initial stage of transformation. That's when, that's how we are going to be able to get unstuck. So when the temptations come and that phantom sin appears in our life to itch, but God will then become our filtration system. When we're in the word of God, when we are focusing on the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us. And so that's, I, I don't know about you guys, but I would much rather have the filtration of the Holy Spirit of God in my life than some of the other stuff that I tend to, you know, fall back on. Like I said, our intellect, our emotions, and all of those things that can really mess with our minds. So let's just, in bringing it all together, in order to get unstuck and to get off of that escalator that's broken, that is not moving anymore, we need to move upwards, not to go back to the things that were comfortable which we have a tendency to do when we're in a wilderness where this is too hard, I can't do this. It was easier even though this and this was going on. I, I at least knew what to expect, so I'm just going to go back to that. That's, that's what our natural soulish tendency is to do, to go back. But we need to move upwards. And that has to start with repentance. Repentance is what brings us back to neutral with God. And it's been kind of a, you know, we don't really talk a lot about repentance in our churches today. And, um, and we understand that, yes, repentance is, you know, necessary for the remission of sins. And, you know, but we have to come to that place where we just lay it before God. We have that, there's that repentance in, in um, 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says, for godly sorrow produces a repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So I don't I I don't know exactly what godly sorrow looks like. I know I've experienced that in my life where I have been truly heartly sorry for what I have done that has offended God. And I think that that's that's the kind of repentance that we need. And and I'm talking with, for anything that we do, we need to be that sorry. We need to we need to so desire for our hearts to be made right with God. And it's that simple. It's as simple as telling him, God, I am so sorry 
I'm so sorry, would you forgive me? And it's wiped clean. We're the ones that are constantly wanting to bring it back to remembrance. He doesn't. It's done. And so it brings us back to that level ground where we can move forward, where we're not stuck in that place. So it has to begin with repentance. Next, we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We need to seek after his righteousness. And and whatever we need to do to strengthen, if it's, you know, memorizing a verse and, and focusing on that verse for a week or, you know, you know, coming up with a, a Bible reading plan, whatever you need to do, reminding God, going back through journals and seeing. Journals are wonderful in the sense that we can go back and we can look and see, wow, God, I remember feeling this. It's like I, I could feel again what I was going through here, but look what you did. And so we need to do things that are going to strengthen us in the Lord and to seek after his righteousness. Next, we need to utilize that mirror therapy in the word of God so that we can see the image of Christ. When we look in the mirror, we see the image of Christ looking back at us because that's what God sees. You know, God validates us by how, what he sees in us and where he sees us going. And I mentioned this the other day to somebody. We, you know, when Peter denied Christ three times, God validated him still. Jesus validated him after he returned. It's like, Peter, upon Peter, I, upon this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, forget you, Peter. You denied me. I saw you. You denied me. No. He validated Peter in how he sees him and who he sees him and what he sees him to become. And that's what we need to do. We need to pick up that mirror, the word of God, and see the image of Christ that's in us, that God's already put in us. And then lastly, we need to activate that RAS, the word of God. We need to activate it. We need to pick it up, and we need to activate it in our lives. And that's what retrain our brains so that we can thank God in all circumstances. So that's what I have for you today. And um, before I pray, I also want you to um, be mindful. If there's anybody here that, like, maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you're like, yeah, I've been on that escalator for couple hours now waiting for somebody to come and fix it you know there's you don't have any further to look but to just look upward because he's already there ready to fix it you just have to call upon him and and so if you're if you feel stuck you feel like you're in that wilderness and and you've been we've been talking about all these wonderful things over the last few weeks but not really sure how to do it what to do with it then we're gonna there's gonna be some of us up here to pray and just um We'll be happy to pray with you, but I'm going to pray now. So, Father, thank you so much, Lord, for all of the things that you show us. Lord, you are, you are such a, a magnificent God. It, it literally blows my mind when I learn something, whether it's scientific or whatever in that realm, and it absolutely correlates and absolutely validates your word. And not that you need anything to validate your word, but, Father, it's just, it's just amazing to me when I realize just how you've made us, how you've created us, what you see in me, what you validate in each one of us, that we focus on our shortcomings. We focus on that darkness where we can't see you. So, Father, I just pray that you would help us to go near, to draw near to that thick darkness where you are and to see you and to activate all of those things in our life that are going to point us to you, that we will come to know you deeper that we will be empowered by your Holy Spirit, and that, Father, that we will truly be set free to move forward 
in the destinies that you have for each one of us. We just thank you and give you praise. So, like I said, if anybody needs prayer or would like prayer for anything, it doesn't matter, you know, what it is. Um, I'll be up here, and I'm sure that you know some other people up here to um, pray with you. Otherwise, the rest of you have a good week, and we'll see you next Sunday on Palm Sunday. Thank you.